it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 129. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to go back to the well, and we're going to answer a listener's question. We got a great one the other day, and Andrew thought this would be a great conversation for us to have with you guys. So I'm going to go ahead and read the question, and then Andrew will take the first stab at it. All right, so here we go. I have been practicing using the VTI Excel sheet and pick Starbucks since they are a large company that has been around for a while and doesn't seem to be going anywhere. When I input their numbers into the spreadsheet, it put out a VTI of 1428. I see they have more liabilities than assets. Their dividend has decreased from last year and their shareholder equity seems to be in a negative. Yet when I read articles online, they say it is a good buy. How do you reconcile these articles with the data we are receiving through the VTI process? Thank you and love all the content. Andrew, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, super good question, first off. Um, And I think it'll be a lot of fun to talk about Starbucks and kind of take a deep dive into it. Um, Just for kind of clarification for people who don't know um, what the listener is talking about when he says VTI, that stands for Value Trap Indicator. It is a formula that um, I created and use on every stock I buy. And so basically, it takes some of the financial numbers around the company and does some calculations and tells you generally whether it's a good buy or not. So 1428, that's a very high number in the range of VTI world. Um, That's definitely like in strong sell territory or at the very least do not buy territory. So I think, you know, it's a great question and a great thing to think about, right? Because you have you have on let, let's start maybe with a disclaimer i i love starbucks myself when i see a company like starbucks a brand like starbucks a cup of coffee in front of my desk like starbucks everything about that makes me feel good and it makes me want to be a part of that and i think with a lot of the investments you'll have a lot of the stocks you buy and the businesses you want to have part ownership in that's like a great thing to have and that's a good piece and a good part of that. And then so it's something you you always strive for. 
However, at the same time, when it comes to investing your hard-earned money, if you're going to be smart, if you're going to be conservative, if you're going to try to take an approach that is maybe a little more boring, but a little bit more heavy on facts, well, then you're going to have to kind of look at what is really going on behind the scenes and kind of think about, well, you know, appearances are just that appearances. Can we kind of look behind the veil and see what's really going on? And so that's why uh, a lot of these type of accounting type terms and and numbers are going to be spit out by us. But the reasoning for that is because it's really going to paint a better picture rather than like um, the question here said, you know, have a lot of articles online where they say it's a good buy. I would challenge, you know, kind of first off, I would challenge the idea that you can't find good articles on any stock you want to buy. So if you don't believe me that there's a bullish argument for every single stock in the stock market, go test it yourself and, you know, try to look up articles and you'll see that almost every stock has a general bullish bias when it comes to those articles online. And that's kind of the nature of the beast. I mean, Dave, I'm sure um, being somebody who even writes on articles, the type of articles that you write when you're excited about a company are a lot more fun than the ones that aren't. And so I think generally when you look on the internet, um, more of the bullish articles tend to be published and kind of promoted. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You go to, you go look on Seeking Alpha and yeah, there's far more, far more bullish, you know, opinions on things than there are on the bearish. And they are, when you come across a company and you're writing about them, it's, it's, it's a way more fun to write about a company you think is, you know, doing well and is great and is a great investment as opposed to one that you think is like, kind of like your article about Dean Foods. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, thanks. Myself on the back about that yeah. one. Maybe it's an, another topic for another day. But um, yeah, I claim to be. I could be uh, Nostradamus. Is that how you yeah, say the, it? Nostradamus. I have my fifteen seconds of Nostradamus fame. Yeah, there you go. Uh, with that article, so um, that's why I really like looking at the numbers. Kind of uh, to to really hammer that point home. You can have ideas and thoughts and feelings, catch feelings for for a company and and a stock. And there can be so many different reasons. And some of them can be the dumbest reasons why you want to buy a stock. But when you have data, when you have numbers, and when you really have good context on those numbers and you understand, at least from a general standpoint, what they mean, well, then you have a much stronger base argument for why you're buying a stock rather than just oh, it makes me feel good and you know justifying it in a million different reasons with a million different types of articles that are all saying the same thing so why it, you know when, when you hear when you hear um, words like that you probably think that I'm about to put the hammer down on on a company like Starbucks and um, I totally am. So let's look at one of the things in this question. Um, he says they have more liabilities than assets. So I will try to keep it simple, but at the same time, if you're not well versed in 
And when I say well-versed, like when I say assets or liabilities, if it goes completely over your head, I would recommend going back to our Back to the Basics series, which starts in episode 43, I think, and um, go through those articles or those episodes before you listen to this one. So we looked at, and Dave and I both did this, on the fly, which was kind of fun hearing his feedback and and as I was going through it too. So we went back to one of our tools we like to use, quickfs.net, and kind of looked at a 10-year outlook at, at what's going on with the business. And so from first glance, everything looks really, really good. Um, they have revenue that's been growing double digit over the past 10 years. They have earnings per share. It's growing. Uh, over the last 10 years at 27.4% compounded annually. That's fantastic. Um, and they have a high return on invested capital. So that all looks great. And there were some share buybacks recently. So things seem to be churning and profits are definitely you know flowing in. And I think that's, those are all good things. So let's not, let's not discount that. Now, the potential problem was when you get to the balance sheet. So for me, when I look at a stock or a company, I want, I think any, any investor probably wants a good income statement. I think a lot of investors just stop there. And so that's why using a tool like the VTI can be really helpful um, because it takes you a step further than that. And so where maybe more investors don't look at the balance sheet or give it much credence, I think we can do ourselves a great favor by by doing some of that ourselves. So uh, what, what we see is more liabilities than assets. And what's interesting is it wasn't always the case. So from 2017 to 2018 is really where um, the liabilities kind of ratcheted up. And then from 20... 2019 is when liabilities went negative. And so it's it's at a point like this where you kind of wonder and you want to understand why. Like what why did this happen? What happened? And is it problematic or is it something that uh we're okay with as investors? So again, as Dave and I were kind of looking, we noticed um long-term debt really jumped up a lot from 2017 to 2018 went from about 4 billion to about 9 billion. So that's almost a 3x jump, right? So that's a lot. Just from that alone you can kind of argue, okay, well, uh, it seems like a lot of this growth is being fueled by debt or at least there there is a lot of a, de- a lot of debt accumulating and so, you know, what's the old adage like spend money to make money? Um, but that's not always a great long-term strategy for a company. So that kind of raises a red flag when you look at that. The second thing that really stood out was one of these rows here in the balance sheet is called deferred revenue. So I don't want to get super deep into deferred revenue. There's a lot of different reasons why uh, a company could have that liability. Basically, what we did is uh, we pulled up the 10K for the company. What I did was I just did like a, a search inside the document. I looked for deferred revenue. 
and found it in the 10K and found the explanation for it. So what Starbucks did in that time frame is they struck a deal with Nestle. And so, you know, Nestle, the chocolate company. And so they had some sort of royalty agreement uh, where basically Starbucks got paid up front and then they're, they, they basically agreed to uh, let Nestle sell some other products and then um, Starbucks gets a royalty from those sales. And so they got paid uh, a substantial amount of cash up front. And then that's like, and trying to like break down accounting jargon and make it simple, you kind of like, uh, you take a transaction and you spread it out over many years instead of just one, because this is going to be an ongoing thing, right? They're going to be receiving royalty payments consistently but they got some of it paid up front. And so you need to reflect that, but you can't just put it all in one year because this is ongoing. Does that make sense at all? (laughs) Yes, it does. Okay. So that's in like the most simplified way I can kind of try to explain it. Uh, That's that accounts for a lot of the reason why deferred revenue went up so high. And then when you also look at the balance sheet, you see cash, in the balance sheet went up really high too. And so it went from 2.4 billion to 8.7 billion. And that probably has to do with the Nestle thing too, because like I said, they got paid up front. So they had their assets really shoot up, but they also had their liabilities shoot up as well. And so, you know, what are, so I guess before I move on, what are your thoughts on that, Dave? um, As far as like, we, we we see assets go up, but we saw liabilities go up more. What are what are your initial thoughts when as we kind of bring it with the context of okay, this is the whole Nestle thing that uh, is affecting some of it. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. 
After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Well, you know, when we were first looking at it, you know, it, it, uh, I guess the, the first thing that I always think of is, you know, what are these numbers? What story are these numbers trying to tell me as I'm looking at them? Because you start looking at them from left to right, you know, you start at the beginning and you kind of look at them and you see that, you know, by and large, everything is growing. And when you looked at the first page of the summary and everything was jumping out at you like really nicely, wow, these are all, you know, huge, you know, the revenue growth and the earnings growth and, you know, the return on equity to return on assets, all those things were just, you know, monstrous, you know, like I said, I've been working with banks a lot lately. And so everything is so much smaller, but, uh, you know, they're, they're far more conservative in their growth because they're so regulated and they're looking at a company like Starbucks, which is obviously not regulated. It's like, wow, this is awesome. But then one thing that I did notice was the price to book was negative. And I thought, huh, okay, that's, that's something that bears investigating. And I guess for me, when I look at these things, it's, it, it's trying to find answers to the questions. And so as you and I were going through this, we were both, looking at the same thing and, and both commenting on the same ideas of, you know, this is where this goes and this is where this goes. And this is like, you know, like I was looking at the long-term debt and it jumped, you know, like you said, from roughly, you know, 4 billion to 9 billion. And then from there, even up to 11.1 billion the following year. So it's almost quadrupled in or three time in two years. And that, would lead you to ask questions like why, what, why, why did that do that? And then we saw the deferred revenue part of it. And we both asked the same question. What is that? Where did that come from? And so using the 10 K as a, another tool to help you investigate why these things are. And that's what kind of, to me is the fun of this is trying to figure out why do these things happen and, and where are they going? Because, you know, looking at the numbers just by themselves sometimes doesn't always tell you the whole story. And sometimes you have to go back and look at words to help explain what's really going on. Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Can I? So here's here's a thought, right? Let's take this thought process through. You keep asking, you know, why, why, and I love those questions. So let me ask the, let me break the third wall and ask the hypothetical listener who's on the other end of this. You know, why, why are 
why are Dave and Andrew so concerned about a company almost tripling their debt in two years? And why are they so bearish on a company who admittedly is growing at a very high rate, right? So right. if we if we take that three year uh, like time out period and we just we think so the company's growing this big, their debt's growing this big, what's the big deal? So like investor like Wall Street is seeing this growth and so they are they're getting excited and when they look at the income statement they're seeing profits and revenue growing at such a high rate of speed so as they buy into the stock they're buying expecting that to continue and at the same time when you have the debt behind it also um sorry about that you have the debt kind of like underneath the surface also growing at such a high at such a high rate well, you're going to have to have the debt continue to increase in order to get like, okay, we, we don't know 100% whether that's going to be the case, but I think it's safe to say if it took them kind of tripling their debt to get that kind of growth, to get the next stage of growth up ahead, it's probably going to hurt and it's going to be really hard to get to maintain that growth unless you're also growing that debt. And, and obviously the problem with growing debt is... It, it it the more of it accumulates the the uh it's like compound interest it's like negative compound interest right and so okay let's take kind of a more optimistic viewpoint it's like well maybe the company can kind of slow down on how much debt they're taking on but if that growth was fueled by debt you take the debt away so maybe the growth gets lower and so as an investor maybe you're fine with that right like you think, hey, the business can kind of slow down in growth. The problem is when you're buying into a stock like that now, and um, investors and Wall Street was kind of buying into that now, they're going to all get very upset when that doesn't happen. And so they're going to draw their money out. So whether you as an investor are okay with them kind of getting lower growth than what they've seen, chances are a lot of Wall Street isn't going to be okay with that. And so if you buy into a stock like that, the returns will be, I mean, it's not, it's never guaranteed, but there's a big chance that those returns uh, are not going to look very pretty when those type of things come out. And so if you really try to analyze what are the possible situations and what are the possible fallouts, you could have growth continue and, and debt continue, but you know, how, how long can you continue to have that growth, that debt, multiply upon itself before the interest payments become so large that you know it just bankrupts the company i don't care how much money they make right so you have to kind of keep that in mind and and think about investor you know investors in wall street are looking at a stock and they're expecting a certain thing and so if you take that thing away it's going to crater the stock price and that's kind of the situation that uh we would like to keep investors from and that's a big reason why when we talk about either valuations or the balance sheet like we are now with the debt situation. That's why we, at least I tend to try to err on the side of margin of safety emphasis on the safety because I don't want to get burned by wall street, you know, the fickle Mr. Market kind of moving in and moving out so rapidly and really uh, hurting returns over the long term. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. 
when you think about why do we get why do we get so wrapped up in the negative part of some of these aspects like the debt growing so much when you think about debt two things can be super negative for the company number one is that's what leads to you know most companies going bankrupt is when they got too much debt and they can't pay it back just like us personally when we buy too much stuff based on our credit and then we lose our job or we start making less money or it just reaches the saturation point where you just can't pay it back fast enough because the interest is compounding so quickly that you just can't overcome that you can't get under can't get over that mountain to to pay it down the same thing happens with a company you know eventually there will reach a a tipping point where you can only borrow so much to keep increasing the growth and Everything that you read when you talk about growth, it can't last forever. It just will not. It's just physically impossible to last from now until infinity. At some point, uh, every company goes through life cycles, I guess is the best way of putting it. And Starbucks is going through a growth spurt right now, but eventually it's going to reach a period of time where it's going to quote unquote plateau and it's going to be more of a mature type of company quote unquote and at that point it can't keep borrowing to try to generate any growth because now it's either got so much debt that it's got to start paying that back or they're going to run into bigger problems and when you just think about it from a, a monetary aspect the more money you borrow the more interest you pay and that interest gets reflected on the income statement. And it's one of the expenses that gets eaten up by the income that you make. So if your, if your revenue starts to shallow, shallow and slow down, you're, and you're still having that high debt, you're, it's cutting into your earnings and that's going to affect your earnings per share. And you can only buy back so many shares to offset that. And that's where debt can really become a big, big burden on companies. And so there's nothing wrong with having debt and having it under control is the bigger issue. And that's why Andrew and I are always very anti-debt because just like in our personal lives in the business world, it can, it can lead to your downfall. And there, there's so many other little aspects that are contained within it that you really have to be considerate of. And when you see a company like Starbucks, which is, you know, a, a very well known name, arguably one of the better brands out there, it, when they're taking on that much debt that quickly, that scares me, even though all the other growth metrics are fantastic. But, like Andrew was saying, Wall Street's not really going to look that deeply into that. They're just going to see, hey, earnings per share, high, huge, awesome, you know, return, you know, all this great revenue, but what's really driving that? And they're not going to look at that when they, and if they do start noticing that, then they may start, you know, chipping away at the share, the share price, and it can really hurt you when you're investing. But obviously, you know, losing all your capital in an investment when the company goes bankrupt. I'm not saying Starbucks is going bankrupt, but you get you get where I'm going with that. So those are things that you definitely, definitely have to keep in mind whenever you're investing in any company at all. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
just an example of what you were saying where a company could be growing a lot yet have a lot of debt and it comes back to buy them. Uh, Enron, I featured them yeah. in my VTI book. They had fantastic growth metrics. They were on the Fortune 500 list for top whatever innovative companies and um, had great earnings per share growth, revenue growth, um, but crazy amount of debt. I don't think Starbucks is at like an Enron level type of debt, obviously. No, no. Um, and even in like you, com- you compare their long term debt to, um, you know, like the, the standard kind of EBIT, you, you, can, you compare debt to earnings and, and they're at reasonable rate. Um, you compare it to things like the balance sheet and the equity, maybe it's, it's, it's a bit high, obviously. But um, it's that trend is, is really what's more concerning and that sudden jump makes you kind of like lift your eye up. And so, you know, coming full circle to, to the question about liabilities versus assets, that's a big reason. And that's where it started to shift for Starbucks. Um, they didn't always have liabilities more than assets. They used to be the other way around, but it really started the, the trend flipped in this time period that we're discussing, which is 2017, 2018, and 2019. And that's why those things are there. There's also uh, a last thing was uh, like retained earnings really dropped. And I dug into the 10K and found that out. And I think it's very boring. <laughs> but um, <laughs> just know that like if you can do like if you run into an accounting term and you don't know exactly like where to figure it out, you can go into a 10 K and kind of search for, it and generally there will be notes in there and you can kind of figure that out. So um, that's kind of why that that's like where that's what I see when, when we look at Starbucks, when we look at the numbers and it sounds like the listener too, that's, that's their big thing that they come up with. Uh, Kind of the big conclusion was like, whoa, um, there's something weird here with the balance sheet and it's throwing off the VTI. So whether that turns, you know, whether the next two, three, four, five years of Starbucks uh, are going to be great, whether they're going to be bad, I don't know. And I honestly don't really care. And I'm not going to try to make a stand one way or the other. What I will say is... Yes, it's obvious that the VTI is flagging this as a do not buy, do not buy, do not buy. And so I'm not buying. Is there a chance that I'm missing out on a great stock? Yes, there is. But, you know, this is something that you have to kind of pick your battles when you go and you start buying stocks and figuring out what you want to invest your money in. Because, yes, uh, Starbucks is a great business. It has a great brand and it's growing earnings and revenue but that's not always that's not always the big picture and you could say that about most companies on in the stock market and so for you the investor you have to decide how much risk am i okay with how much kind of um how firm is the ground i want to stand on when it comes to these stock investment choices that i'm going to make and what is that firm foundation going to be Going back to what I said in the beginning, is it going to be, I'm going to buy this stock because I like their coffee or I like the color of their logo, or is it going to be on something more substantial like 
I don't buy stocks with negative shareholders equity because that makes me nervous because um, when when a company has more assets or lower debt, you know that makes me more comfortable with the business. So those are the type of trade-offs you have to find and kind of make for yourself. And as somebody who promotes and uh, generally encourages buying individual stocks, I really, really hope that investors are staying more on the cautious side and erring more on that side rather than trying to be super risk-taking, especially the more important this money is to you and and you know the, the harder you worked for it. And you have to understand that the nature of the beast is missing out on some great stocks. So I like to think of it like if any of you like going to the state fair and getting really, really greasy, unhealthy food. If you go to the state fair um, and you get like, something that tasted super, super good. And then you go home. Do you go home and then start thinking about, man, there was like 99 other greasy variants of food that I could have had and I didn't have. And now I'm upset about it. Do you go to the fair and try to eat all 100, you know, or is it something where you're just kind of hoping for a good time and then you're happy, even if somebody else maybe found a better funnel cake than you did? So I know it sounds silly, but really, how is that any different from our investing? And so if, you, if you're if you kind of, you have to put yourself in that mentality, A, and that's a very important part of being a more conservative kind of margin of safety type investor. And B, also understand that there are a lot of good sides to that. You know, you could pick I could pick five different companies with growing revenues, right? That have like super trendy brands and um, really cool businesses. But if you just look across the landscape, just look at even the last IPOs, look at how Uber has been an absolute disaster. Um, Spotify has tanked. Now we're starting to see the cannabis stocks fall. And, and when we say fall, they're they're falling really, really hard. And so, you know, why do you have other types of stocks where they don't fall as hard? And why do you have other stocks that kind of slowly build wealth over time? And it's generally because of these type of fundamental things that you can find in the balance sheets, you can find in the income statements, and it it can be all revealed in the numbers. And so if you're really just playing a numbers game, trying to spread your risk out, yeah, you can kind of try and, and kind of pick the stocks and the companies you like. But if you're going more based on a numbers approach, I think you'll be much happier with the numbers in your results when you do such a thing, because really it comes down to kind of the basics of that. And it's generally easier to make money when you have more assets as a company. Uh, it's easier for less leveraged companies to survive during hard times and you know it's it's just a lot of these type of general principles that nobody likes to talk about they really stay true over the long term and so it's 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 airing on that and and being more cautious and picking the stocks that are still great businesses still have great brands and are still very very popular but maybe they have a much better balance sheet i think that's the much better way to go 
I would agree with that. I think really the only thing that I would, I guess, add to that would be think of it like we've talked in the past. Warren Buffett talked a lot about thinking about buying stocks as like swinging at a baseball. You don't have to swing at every single pitch you get. And so even though you may love a company like Starbucks or a Netflix or somebody along those lines and you use their products, it doesn't always mean that that may be the best investment for you. And really it comes down to what is your risk tolerance and what can you handle? And if you can handle something like a negative shareholders equity or growing debt for a long period of time, then that's probably the way to go. It isn't for Andrew and I, that's not the way we operate. I want to go to bed and not stress about, you know, oh my God, I have all this money in Starbucks and all these things are going on with it and it scares the crap out of me. Uh, That's just not the way I like to operate. And I don't think Andrew does either. And I think the way that you should look at this is when you are looking at any sort of company, yeah, there's a chance you could, you know, you know, miss out, you know, the FOMO, the fear of missing out is a very strong desire and drive for us for a lot of different things. But when you're investing and using your hard-earned money, I think using the numbers as a way to tell a story for you and basing your decisions on those because they aren't going to lie to you and they are going to tell you really kind of what's going on and what you're comfortable with. And like Buffett says, you don't have to swing. There's no, there, there is no three strikes and you're out in the stock market. You see a company you like, you look at all the fundamentals, you look at all the numbers and everything lines up with all the different things that you are trying to, to measure it on. And that works. Then, you know, you can take a swing and buy, but if it, there's one thing in there that you're just like, nope then you can move on and, and move on to the next thing. Does it mean you might miss on it on, on the next Amazon or Apple or whoever? Yeah, there's that possibility, but you're going to win more often in, in the long run by sticking to your principles and your investing fundamentals and going with that, as opposed to just swinging wildly and trying to hit every single pitch for a home run. That's just not the way to success. Yeah, and I've found plenty of stocks with great growth, you know, great revenue growth, double-digit earnings growth, and they don't need to be levered all the way to the hilt. They don't even need to have um, a ton of liabilities either. You just, yeah, they can be more expensive sometimes, but if you're just patient, you kind of pick your spots and you keep an eye out, you'll find great companies. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion for this evening. Again, thank you for writing in and telling us uh, some great stories and giving us some great questions. Uh, This is a lot of fun for both of us to be able to talk about all these things, and hopefully you guys learn a thing or two from our conversations. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. If you guys are enjoying the show, please go ahead and subscribe so you can get more great information from Andrew and I. And without any further ado, Go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com.
Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.